Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. I'm particularly happy to uh, welcome my next guests to the airways because while I was off in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago and then a few weeks before that when I was in at the Perth Festival, Daniel Santangeli filled in for me on this program. He is the Artistic Director and Co-CEO of Footscray Community Arts Centre. Uh, and uh, so first I get to say, Daniel, thank you for filling in for me while I was jaunting around and at various festivals and over the summer as well. I hope you enjoyed your, uh, your time doing radio with us. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure, but also I um, now have a full understanding about how utterly terrifying live radio is from your side of things and what an incredible job that you do uh, every, every Thursday. Um, it's actually quite a feat and, um, I'm, yeah, I have a whole new level of appreciation for the work you do. Yeah, that's very kind of you, but I also uh, am gobsmacked by the kind of work you do because you're, as I said, you're co-CEO of Footscray Community Arts Centre. You've had to close Footscray Community Arts Centre because of uh, the way everybody is taking precautions to stop the coronavirus spreading through the population and particularly impacting on our most vulnerable. But you've got a community to look after. That's a big responsibility. What's the mood like amongst your staff who I imagine are all working from home at the moment? Yeah, so we're, yeah, you're right, we're temporarily closing our doors until the 14th of April, hopefully. Um, we'll be able to reopen then. Um, and that's primarily out of uh, our response to the health health concerns of the many vulnerable communities that Footscray Community Arts Centre works with. So we primarily work with, you know, artists with disability, um, Aboriginal communities, um, culturally diverse communities in Melbourne's West. Um, and so really out of health concerns to them, we have uh, closed, you know, we've closed the centre um, to minimise um, uh to really, you know, to create social distancing. And part of that has also been having to cancel Womanjika Festival, um, which is our annual flagship flagship First Nations Festival um, that was due to be in early April. Um, so when you ask about the mood, it's heartbreaking at the moment. You know, Womanjika Festival is really the welcoming event for the year for us. Um, it's the cultural event that welcomes us to country um, as staff, as communities. And so to have to postpone that indefinitely is heartbreaking but then so is the fact that there are a hundred arts workers and artists that are part of that festival who just won't see any income as a result of the postponement of that festival as well so the mood is the mood is pretty um pretty pretty dire but i'm pretty i'm absolutely impressed and could not be happy to be working with the team that i'm working with who you know if what's great community arts center is good at anything it's been responsive um, and it's been caring, and that's really shone through over this time. Now, Daniel, the as a representative of the arts and uh, the the arts sector and the community, I mean, as well as being AD and co CEO of Footscray Community Arts Centre, you're also a member of the Arts West Alliance, the the group of arts organisations there in the western suburbs. Uh, to pick up on one of the points you mentioned, the fact that. For your organisation, hundreds of artists will not see income from the work they've been making. Uh, and also, it means that casual staff who might do shifts in ticketing or ushering have now lost their income as well. Collectively, we're looking at thousands of people across the country, tens of thousands of people who are out of work and 
the, their regular means of income has effectively been shut down for at least two to three months. Just yesterday, um, uh, Sydney Film Festival, for example, announced their cancella cancellation, and that event isn't until June. So the sector has not just been disrupted, it's been completely thrown off its axis. What, uh, what's, what are people doing to, to rally at this point? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. The people who are feeling this first are artists, independent artists and casual workers. I mean, so, so for the Great Community Arts Centre, we have over 500 artists that we pay annually, um, and now that's um, unlikely to happen for the rest of the year. Um, and that's across, you know, the organisations across the western suburbs of Melbourne and the sector more broadly. Um, they're just unable to pay their artists and casual workers, um, predominantly because they're, as organisations, we're also looking at a loss as well. Um, so it's not like we have money in the bank that we could just, you know, spend and put towards those artists and casual workers. So for Footscray Community Arts Centre, it's um, the risk is quite real. So we're looking at being um, cash flow negative by July. Um, and having an overall financial loss of $250,000. So um, there are things that we can do that are, um, that are internally that help reduce some of that loss and help us stay cash flow positive. You know, there are savings that we can make. There are things that we can do and corners that we can cut in order to help reduce that, that very real risk of having to close our doors permanently. Um, but really... Um, when it comes to rallying and the work that the that, um, that myself and Robin Gwenda, our co-CEO, is doing is um, advocating to government. And there's really two things that we're advocating to government for. So we spent all yesterday on the phone to councillors and, and politicians and politicians' advisors. Um, and the two things that we've been advocating for are certainty in current funding um, and a stimulus package. So... Certainty in current funding really means that the money that we are due to receive from government um, is not taken away and that the timing of that funding does not change. So that will, that will solve our cash flow problems if money isn't taken away by government and that we get it at the time that we're expecting it. That allows us just to plan um, and, to, and to stay cash flow positive. But then a stimulus package is really, really key. So that will allow us – so um, a boost in cash will allow us to um, continue to pay casual employees and artists once we reopen our doors um, and contribute to the economy straight away as soon as the crisis is over. So a stimulus package will really allow us to provide the, the essential thing that arts organisations do best, which is provide community connection through creativity – and that's the that's what a stimulus package will allow us to do straight away. And you know, and we and we know that there's a whole raft of um, not just um, you know uh, health um, aspects attached to that, but also economic benefits attached to the arts. We know that business um, you know goes through the roof for other um, cafes and restaurants that are around art centres. Um, we know that it puts money in um, you know casual workers' pockets. So a stimulus package will really enable us to, um, to continue to contribute to the economy. Um, I, I think what's difficult is that there isn't a stimulus package available to the arts yet. Um, so the federal government, um, their uh, stimulus package for small businesses is not available to an organisation like Footscray Community Arts Centre because we're a not-for-profit organisation. So we're really looking forward to um, what comes out of the next stimulus package announcement from both state and federal government um, 
uh, and hoping that there are some um, really easy to understand universal stimulus packages um, that don't require us to go through too many admin hoops. Now, the Minister for Communications, Cyber Safety and the Arts, the Honourable Paul Fletcher MP, uh, met with a range of arts organisations, uh, the Peak Bodies uh, in particular, a couple of days ago. He did say that uh, last, the recent stimulus package announced by the Prime Minister could be accessed by uh, arts organisations, so that's up to $25,000 available to help pay staff, so that would be would certainly help out some small to medium organisations, but not Footscray Community Arts Centre, as you've said. Uh, uh-huh. Up in Queensland, we've already seen the state government there announce a, an $8 million uh, funding relief program which uh, is uh, offsetting... uh, Effectively, it's for organisations who are already funded and organisations who are renting office space from the Queensland government. There's not yet been anything for independent artists and casual workers. So how hopeful are you that the federal government, particularly after today's uh, national meeting of cultural ministers, will announce some kind of relief funding for particularly independent artists, casual workers and others affected by the national shutdown of arts, theatre, culture generally? Yeah, I, I think 50% hopeful. So, I mean, we know when we look to um, ministers like Paul Fletcher and Martin Foley that we have really great allies on both state and federal government. Um, the issue really is is that we're also very aware that there is um, behind... that In addition to coronavirus crisis, there's also a cultural war at play um, and that there has been a, a reduction in arts funding um, systematically over the last 10 years. Um, and so the arts is not a priority for, um, for federal government. Um, and so, you know, even though we have a minister who has the best intention, but that will be then be picked up by those real, the really powerful ministers in the federal government, um, and and supported is um, uh, yeah isn't we can't yeah it's hard it's it's hard to know that they, that they'll do that. In terms of uh, the adaptability uh, of and the imagination of the art sector, uh, in the next couple of months, Daniel, will we be, will, will we be seeing some of the, the projects and programs and artists at Footscray Community Arts Centre taking their work online? Yeah, so there's actually there's two things that we're doing at FCAC in terms of being creative. So one is that while we've closed the art centre to general public and staff, we have actually kept it open to um, our art life artists who are artists with disability who come to Footscray Community Arts Centre every day to work and um, Footscray Community Arts Centre is their studio. Um, they, we will continue to allow them to come to the centre um, and that really is partly to reduce the disruption to their routines um, because there's no general public at FCAC. The, um, the risk of contracting coronavirus for them is actually reduced. Um, so that's a real positive that we've been able to put in place and that took a lot of creative thinking on behalf of our Art Life team in order to put that in place. The other thing that we're doing is that we're kicking off a, um, a program called um, FCAC Radio um, that we'll be um, playing um, on, air, uh, sorry, on live streaming 
um, as an opportunity for our artists and our communities um, and our staff and uh, to tell stories, to um, play their favourite playlists, to play music of artists in the West, to, um, to talk about their experiences, um, both of during this time, but also just their stories in general, so that um, we're kind of reducing the impact of um, the social loneliness that comes from social distancing and social isolation. And people will be able to access that uh, radio through footscrayart.com, I imagine. Uh, exactly right. Yeah. That'll be launching next week. Please keep me in the loop about that. I'll uh, kind of love to push it out through my networks as much as I possibly can. For more info about Footscray Community Arts Centre and their programs, which will resume once the current crisis is over, footscrayart.com, as I said. Uh, I've been chatting with the Artistic Director and Co-CEO of Footscray Community Arts Centre and uh, kind of... Uh, semi-regular fill on this here program, Daniel Santangeli. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, best of luck uh, and best wishes to you and all your team. Stay safe. Thank you, Richard. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. I'm joined on the line by my next guest. Esther Anatolitis is the Executive Director of NAVA, the National Association for the Visual Arts, an organisation that lobbies for and supports visual artists across the country, whatever medium they are working in. Esther, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. So good to be here with you. Now, like many of us, you are socially isolating yourself, or socially distancing. <laughs> I am. Socially. Yes, we should be talking about social connection, physical distance. I am physically distancing myself from people, yes. But con staying connected with what's going on across the country, the theme of this morning's program, of course, has been the impact on the art sector of the coronavirus uh, and COVID-19 and the, the wave of closures that we've seen. We're, we're seeing uh, arts organisations closing their doors and artists working remotely. We're seeing festivals cancelled. We're seeing theatres close. What's the impact been on the visual arts sector? Oh, look, it is, um, it is a combination. It's feeling absolutely devastating. And then we have also got artists and organisations who are finding, you know, some pretty exciting ways to um, stay connected with each other, keep making work and keep showing work. So now they've had a survey out for some days now. And to date, a total loss of $27.6 million has been reported. That affects 10,690 artists and 309 small to medium organisations. Uh, and that is uh, because of an enormous 5,418 event cancellation. So that's the scale of what we're talking about. It is massive, and I'm, I'm glad that NAVA is documenting that its own part of the sector as well. The uh, the, the website ilostmygig.net.au has uh, been recording the tally from live music and performance uh, and their latest tally is uh, since they started recording cancelled and lost gigs $150 million in that part of the sector as well. So That's mind-boggling, isn't it? it it's a, and I th one of the things, if there are positives to come out of this, one of them is a demonstration and a reminder of just how much artists, whatever medium they're working in, contribute not only to our cultural fabric, but to the economic fabric. And I don't want to rely on neoliberal arguments of, but look how much we stimulate the economy. But nonetheless, whatever argument you make, artists are facing enormous challenges, personal, artistic, creative and financial at the moment. Oh, look, that's right. And economics aside, this is 
the biggest, most devastating disruption to Australian cultural life since colonisation. I mean, people keep making war comparisons, but the experience of war in Australia is of people heading overseas and fighting. It's, you know, that construction of the, the Larrikin Anzac um, myth. It's not people isolated in homes. It's not uncertainty around what we can and can't be doing. Uh, it's not that sense and that, that, that fear of contagion and that completely devastating impact on an entire industry. So I think we've got to keep it in that perspective. It is the biggest disruption to our cultural lives that we have experienced in generations. Now, in terms of visual artists, I've already heard from uh, friends who've had exhibitions cancelled, which means the the thousands of dollars, there's tens of thousands of dollars they've probably spent on supplies and then framing the work that they've made and so on has been lost. Can you give us some examples of, I guess, personalise this impact for people? What are you hearing in your role at NAVA about what artists are facing, what visual artists are facing at the moment? Oh, look, so many difficult ones. We've had one response to our survey from Matthew Perth, whose uh, work you may know. He talks about um, uh, a pretty large commercial loss uh, as, as a maker, given the significant reduction in viewing hours uh, and, and people not being able to, to attend the gallery, his, his, his launch. Unfortunately, the night of his exhibition launch, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And so what would have been just an upsetting financial loss and lack of exposure has had some really dire financial and health implications. And he says, what was an exhibition to potentially kickstart my career in visual arts has been basically nullified. Uh, we've also heard from organisations, so um, our important partner organisation, Western Australia ArtSource, Lynn Aldrian said that some of the cancelled project components were part of their strategic planning, were pilots for future programs. They've lost research and development time, income, capacity building, and if more cancellations continue, which is likely, they'll be unable to produce some public events in, 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 the, in the near to, to midterm future. Uh, Emma Young says the arts industry as a whole has been targeted, undervalued, and underfunded for so long now. I only hope that the value of this incredible industry might be realised in these dire times and perhaps supported with better funding and public attention and appreciation. Let's talk about that underfunding because I think it's a, a very salient point. Uh, I mentioned at the start of the show the Brandis attack on the Australia Council, uh, which now almost feels like ancient history, but nonetheless set off a wave of disruption. The arts have been defunded, underfunded and undervalued. Uh, and does that mean that uh, the the precarious nature of the sector as a whole, it's, it's almost like our support base has been whittled away year after year and now when this kind of ill wind blows that we're about to topple over? I think that is absolutely everyone's fear. I mean, the last five years have been devastating. Um, the cuts at the federal level have disadvantaged individual artists and small to mediums the most. Uh, there have been either cuts or lack of indexation at state level for many, many years, for 10 years in Victoria, for 20 years in South Australia. Uh, rate capping local governments has meant severe funding constraints and all sorts of changes. So all of that... On the back of, as you've been saying all morning, the devastation of the summer's fires and floods mean that not only is this 
the most devastating disruption to our cultural life in generations, but it comes at the most precarious point that the arts industry has ever experienced in Australia, which is why urgent and ambitious stimulus is required immediately. Let's talk about that notion of uh, economic stimulus and support for the sector. Uh, today, the uh, every arts and cultural minister in the country is meeting to talk, uh, to plan, to hopefully to strategise and hopefully to listen to what artists have been telling them. Uh, what, when is that meeting taking place and what outcomes are you hoping for? So that's two o'clock today, uh, Eastern Standard Time. Um, there will be a meeting of yeah, every state and the federal uh, arts and culture and creative industries ministers. And what they've got to do is make some immediate decisions that need to be implemented as quickly as possible. And then they also need to think seriously about how they're going to engage uh, with industry expertise on that longer-term stuff. So there is some immediate stuff we need. And we're talking about stimulus um, that is going to be required at close to a billion dollars. I completely echo um, Evelyn Richardson, Life Performances Australia's call for an $850 million stimulus. Uh, We're going to have to be even more ambitious than that to cover the entire industry. So what does stimulus look like? Well, we need immediate relief payments for artists, arts workers and organisations. We need specific measures for people whose work is itinerant and casual, including paid sick leave funds. We need Centrelink eligibility to be implemented immediately with no waiting periods. We need targeted stimulus and support for remote uh, and and regional Aboriginal arts centres. We also need um, some pretty big uh, uh, tips into the Australia Council budget. They need $50 million more per year, every year. We need to look at doubling the organisation's investment multi-year program there. It's already been assessed. They can put in twice the money, support twice the organisations. We need state, local and federal governments to extend all currently recurrently funded organisations to extend those contracts to the end of next year. We need relief from funding uh, acquittal and reporting requirements uh, and to make sure that those organisations who have been funded uh, for projects that aren't going ahead, that they are empowered by those funding bodies to pay those artists and arts workers immediately. So that's just the immediate stuff. Then we need to get very smart in thinking about the innovative and connected ways that we're going to build a new future together because that's what art does. It creates our future. Now, as uh, one of my guests on the program said earlier, uh, it was uh, Daniel Santangeli from Footscray Community Arts Centre. We've been, we are, we have been living through and we are in the midst of a cultural war uh, and he is, didn't sound that hopeful that some of the people in the federal government would be listening to the kind of uh, urgent recommendations that you are making in terms of financial investment, stimulus and support for the sector. How hopeful are you that today's meeting of cultural ministers will lead to immediate, decisive and significant investment in the sector? You know, I think given the the devastating disruption and the sudden, very, very obviousness of the importance of the arts and culture across Australia, I think we're going to be seeing some ministers very, very motivated to act very fast. And one indication of that, or two indications of that, 
First of all, Minister Fletcher, he wants to get this right. He prioritised meeting with 18 of us the other morning uh, to make sure he could go to Cabinet on Wednesday night and be prepared for today. We've seen already uh, the Victorian Minister, Martin Foley, and the Queensland Minister, Leanne Enoch, have made some pretty fantastic, ambitious announcements. I'm pretty sure Stephen Marshall from South Australia has too, about what their states are doing. Uh, and in terms of the rest of the federal government, um, I think we're going to see government pretty rapidly rediscovering its purpose in the next little while. Um, it's a, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a rugged, rugged mix. Uh, the, the, the current government, uh, the, the, the front bench, the, the people who are in parliament, um, I think um, uh, having to deal with a crisis makes it very, very clear that spin and marketing is not governance. It does not inspire anybody's confidence and that the role of government is to be supportive and visionary, draw on everything that we taxpayers have been contributing for a long, long time. Isn't there a big fat future fund somewhere uh, attracting interest? Uh, and so it is going to be incumbent on every single MP, whether they're in government, whether they're in opposition, whether they're, they're independent, to rapidly rediscover their individual purpose and the purpose of government because there is no time to be lost. One of the purposes of government, uh, as Nick Miller, the arts editor at The Age, said on the program earlier, is to provide welfare for people. And the idea of the welfare state has been belittled and downgraded over uh, in past decades. Um, I'm really hoping that one of the purposes of government that they embrace is to be reminded that uh, a social network exists and a support network exists for a reason, and that is to provide wealth, welfare for people in a time of crisis. So that's one of the oh, outcomes. completely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, isn't it, just how... it's Well, it's funny, it's deeply disappointing just how um, those special key values, like a welfare state, like unions, like community, uh, the way that these words... Uh, have been allowed to change and depreciate in value. Um, government as the welfare state, when, when I talk about rapidly rediscovering their role, that's number one. The reason we live together uh, in towns, in regions, in cities, is so we can draw on each other's support. The reason we pay our taxes is so that the services that we need are provided. Uh, schools, education, health, really excellent health, clear messages, and public support for the things that make the public, that create the public space. And arts and culture is very, very visible now and it's in its invisibility. We are seeing exactly how valuable it is. And so when I talk about immediate relief payments, uh, funds, as we see in New Zealand, for um, paid sick leaves for um, casual itinerant freelance workers, in urgent Centrelink eligibility. And the other thing to keep in mind, of course, is that these are extremely difficult times. These are uncomfortable times that affect all of us and that affect um, our health and our mental health. And so when we're having these um, conversations about just how difficult things are, uh, it's really important to say people can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. There's a helpline that you can text, 0477 13 11 14. And Beyond Blue has a super list of national helplines and websites at beyondblue.org.au. 
I'm speaking with Esther Anatolitis, who is the Executive Director of the National Association for the Visual Arts, NAVA, uh, and I'll give out the website details in just a moment. But Esther, before I let you go, let's talk about some of the positive things that are happening uh, in the visual arts sector now as well, the way that people are creating access points for art in these challenging and uh, kind of physically isolated times that we're living in. For example, the uh, the National Gallery of Victoria is uh, talking about pushing just so much more of their work online. Uh, there's an article in The Age today talking about the uh, their NGV everyday social media push, push to get existing content out online and an interview with uh, Tony Elwood conducted by Nick Miller, who was my guest on the program earlier. What are some other uh, kind of positives that you're hearing from your sector at the moment about making sure that people can still access the art that they need to nurture and feed their soul? Uh, it was great hearing from the other guests this morning about what everyone's planning and yeah, I think we can expect to see a great deal of online stuff for those of us who are lucky enough to have a quality internet connection uh, at home um, are in for a real treat. And then when it comes to galleries, a lot of galleries are not closing but are implementing those physical distancing measures and you can see all of that on websites. Um, there are a lot of galleries, of course, that are open by appointment. There are galleries, most galleries have got an online presence uh, there is um, a lot of encouragement um, all across all of the sectors of the arts. So if you had tickets for something, um, maybe think about, you know, rethink whether you need to ask for a refund if you're in a position to consider that a donation. Uh, Marvel's going to get a whole bunch of online stuff happening so everyone knows how to engage with our members. And, of course, our members include designers, makers. I think we're all rediscovering our craft skills, our, our ways to, um, to, to buy stuff online that people are making. Um, and then, of course, the National Gallery of Australia, who's recently launched Know My Name, uh, telling us all about um, uh, women and non-male identifying artists. Uh, there are great ways to follow that. Hashtag see what's happening on, on their website. And really to just uh, keep that online conversation going um, um, to make sure that we're staying socially engaged with the ways in which art inspires us and invigorates us uh, don't change. And while those of us who are um, in various different jobs in the industry and working from home, uh, we are working very, very hard on exactly how to support artists and organisations to connect uh, with those audiences. For more information about the National Association for the Visual Arts and their range of activities, including the Artists' Benevolent Fund, their uh, lobbying... Oh, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, absolutely. Donate if you can, please. Uh, jump online visualarts.net.au you can donate to NAVA and that benevolent fund uh, if you're a NAVA member there are grants that you can apply for they're running an online grant writing uh, writing grant proposals course coming up on the 5th of May there's lots of reasons to be a member of NAVA if you are a visual artist or a craft practitioner uh, so visualarts.net.au I've been chatting with Esther Anatolidis NAVA's executive director and an old and dear friend, Esther, it's been lovely to catch up. Our big respect, Richard. Always great to talk to you. Triple R. 
my final guest for the morning joins us on the line. Amelia Wallen is the director of West Space, an artist-run initiative and gallery that has got some uh, exciting news. It originally was in the western suburbs of Melbourne, then moved into the CBD, and now, Amelia, you're moving into the much-anticipated Collingwood Yards, the what was called the Collingwood Arts Precinct. Kind of, how how stable and long-term will this be as a home for the organisation? Mm, thanks, Richard. Um, this is we're hoping this is our new long-term home. We're here on a nine-year lease. Um, it's the fifth location we've moved to in our 27 years of running a space, and we really want to be here for the full nine years. We're so grateful to be part of a community of peers like Bus Projects, Liquid Architecture, the Social Studio, and it's a real shift for us to be um, out of the CBD and and in a precinct in sort of a community feel. Those of us who would have visited West Base's previous location in Burke Street in the CBD, it was very difficult to find. It had a lot of access issues. So we're looking forward to increased audiences, increased visibility and a greater sense of community by being part of a precinct. Now, uh, it's ironic, of course, that you talk about the, uh, I guess, the remoteness of the previous location at the City Village in Burke Street. It was up up an elevator. You couldn't just walk in off the street. So um, does this mean that the West Space staff are already adept at uh, social distancing? Well, I was always amazed as to how many people would still come to the gallery. Despite those access issues, you had to encounter a security guard, you had to be buzzed up. It was not um, an easy process and it wasn't welcoming, but we still had incredible visitation there. So that led the team to make the decision when we were moving to Collingwood Yards, we realised we could occupy a second floor uh, tenancy because our audience was already used to uh, navigating uh, some slight challenges to find us and we felt confident that moving to a second floor space was actually going to be fine for them. So we, um, we, we are still on the second floor and we do have, um, yeah, we do have kind of a public facing element, but yeah, social distancing, this is, this is an interesting time. Um, as People may have known we were about to open our first exhibition on Friday, which was going to be followed by a symposium. Uh, that's all been postponed. But as you said, we, we moved out of um, Burke Street in August last year, so we haven't had a program for a number of months, and we the team just has to sit tight for a few more months, it seems. We were very close <laughs> to opening our doors, but um, just a little bit more patience is required. Uh, it must be um, disheartening for the artists, uh, in kind of the, uh, the or artist that was going to be involved with that first exhibition. Um, well... Yeah, our first exhibition had 12 artists um, involved and it was co-curated, well, it is going to be co-curated by um, myself and Nick Tammond from an organisation called 1856. And on Monday, when we had to uh, very quickly make some decisions about what was going to happen, that was the day we were meant to be installing. And in close conversations with all our artists, we decided to go ahead and install the exhibition. So despite still practising social distancing, um, we have been having artists come in over the last four days, installing their works, 
And there's a real, um, it's very novel <laughs> install, um, installing an exhibition for an audience that may or may not encounter it live. But we, we are going to be finding ways to activate it digitally because, like, we, yeah, we definitely recognise um, how disappointing it would be for artists and curators to get this far and to not realise the exhibition. So it's been wonderful to see the work still come into place and with a lot less, um, uh, a lot less stress, I suppose. Because I, I was thinking that, that instead of the, the, <laughs> the pressure and the stress of we have to get it hung by this date because the, the, the opening kind of night event is here, suddenly it's like, well, yeah. actually, no, we can, we can fine-tune the presentation of it. Uh, and I know that some galleries, uh, particularly some of the private galleries, for example, uh, they mm. have closed their doors to the public, but they are still open by invitation. Will you be perhaps inviting other curators in, for example, or other artists to come in and yeah. look at the work and so they can effectively be in the gallery by themselves, not at risk uh, of exposure uh, at all, but still have a chance to see the work. Absolutely. I think that's definitely something we can we can consider and we're monitoring it really closely. And our best case scenario is that, you know, in four weeks' time we can open the doors, the exhibition's already up um, and we'll have a fantastic closing party. You know, that's the best case scenario. But in the meantime, definitely, um, we, would, we would love to be open um, by appointment and love to find ways to offer no contact viewing. Um, we'll be uh, doing a lot of tours through our Instagram. Um, we're thinking about doing artist talks as a podcast and the the exhibition is actually um, quite timely. Um, it's looking at uh, the different conditions under which artists produce work and this is a condition unlike no other and it's yet unlike no other that we've experienced um, and it's... it's, it's it certainly, as uh, sorry to jump in, but uh, as as Esther Anathalitis was saying just a moment ago, this is the greatest cultural disruption in Australian life since invasion, uh, kind yeah. of, which I thought kind of puts it on a on a pretty significant scale. Not to yeah. not to compare the two, not to say that kind of invasion and colonisation is the equivalent of what's happening now, but certainly yeah. in terms of the absolute national impact of what we are currently experiencing across the various kind of iterations and and strata of the art sector this is these yeah. are challenging times i am actually on one level yes the idea of not being able to go to the theater or see contemporary dance or comedy or puppetry or circus for the next couple of months is disheartening but the opportunity yeah. to see work online is is exciting and the opportunity for artists to respond to this to, to make new work and even new ways of experiencing work is is perhaps a positive. I absolutely agree, and I think um, now's the time more than ever to be led by artists and to follow what artists need. Um, you know, Westface has always served artists and put artists at uh, the front of our organisation in terms of how we how we govern, how we program. You know, they're the first community we serve, and we'll be continuing that over the coming weeks, finding, listening to their ideas for engagement, what what they want, how we can support their production of work and what new forms that production might take and knowing as well that artists are incredibly resourceful and incredibly creative and it's not up to us to find the solutions, it's up to us to support those, um, whatever direction those solutions might take. Now, 
just before I let you go, um, one of the things I wanted to ask is that uh, given the West Space has a long history of supporting and presenting uh, work by contemporary artists uh, across a range of forms, you also have strong connections with other uh, contemporary art spaces, artist-run initiatives and the like. Uh, I think you're a member of uh, uh, Contemporary Art Organisations Australia, the uh, kind of national yeah. network. What's the... You must be in constant communication with your peers and fellow directors of galleries and ARIs around the country. What's the, the sense at the moment? Obviously, people are in shock at, at, at one level. Um, how are, can it, are, are people confident that they and their spaces can ride this out? Or are you worried that we will see some closures, permanent closures, mm. perhaps in the coming months? I think there's a lot of optimism at this point, but I think it's also so early that, I mean, I feel um, as though the news um, and the closures have only really been in effect for, for four days. So at, at this stage, there's a lot of optimism and there's a lot of um, conviviality, there's a lot of support and there's a lot of conversations about how we can share each other's programs and each other's audiences and... Uh, community, you know, I think that it's not um, a feeling of competition that's coming out. It's a sense of we all want to get through this together. We don't want to see any closures. We want each organisation to come out stronger at the end because we recognise that uh, for a vibrant arts ecology, you need multiple kinds of spaces. You need commercial spaces. You need the, the bigger institutions. You need the smaller grassroots ones. You need the, um, you know, you just need a whole range. And we know that uh, that balance is important and we, it's, it can't be upset. So I think everyone's really committed to, to supporting each other to ride out what this might be like for, you know, in six months' time. Well, we will keep our fingers crossed and, uh, and kind of hope for the best as we, kind of, as a sector, collectively, whether it's... Uh, and all the sectors coming together... There, there's one thing to be said about a crisis. It does create uh, or strengthen a sense of connection and community. So uh, we'll certainly be focusing on that. Amelia Wallen is the director of West Space, uh, who are uh, one of the new tenants at Collingwood Yards, the new contemporary arts precinct in Collingwood. For more info, westspace.org.au or collingwoodyards.org. Amelia, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you for having me, Richard. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the art, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs> <laughs>